Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the Human Centered Leadership Podcast and today's guest is uh, someone uh, that I'm so pleased to have on this program. I know that she's extremely busy. She's had back-to-back meetings all day today and managed to squeeze us in for the 30 minutes of the podcast or so. Uh, Dr. Deirdre Hughes, OBE, I might add, uh, is an academic researcher. She's been in this field for several decades, she will tell you herself. Uh, She's written over 125 articles and book chapters, given over 200 presentations to international, national and regional professional groups, uh, all around uh, all age career work and employment services. Uh, She was awarded the OBE for her work in career guidance in 2012. This woman is unstoppable. She's got 30 years work for UK University. She's now Principal Research Fellow at Warwick University. And I'm just going to pause for breath there before I say the final thing. And she has reported to numerous ministers, governmental ministers, both in the UK and elsewhere, as an advisor on career guidance. So it's a huge pleasure, Deirdre, to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a great honour, really, to have uh, this opportunity to have a a conversation about uh, leadership, emotional intelligence and all things to do with careers and employment. We had a conversation, I think, uh, yesterday or the day before uh, about this podcast and uh, the passion that I have for both leadership and emotional intelligence in leadership, what I call a human-centred leadership And it was clear that you share this passion because the work that you do is really about getting those people, particularly those people who are perhaps in marginalized or underrepresented groups uh, or or groups that uh, are struggling uh, to uh, get into careers more than the mainstream. Uh, You really are passionate about getting people into employment and providing that quality career guidance. Can I ask, what is it that inspired you to get into this work in the first place? Well, I've always had a curiosity, um, really, ever since I was a teenager. I grew up in Northern Ireland. I lived um, in Northern Ireland uh, during the Troubles. And I could see that for some people, it was really easy to get a job or to make a living. Uh, And for others, it was really, really difficult. And I was always curious about uh, why was that the case? And where I lived, um, no one in the area that I lived actually went to university. And so um, there's a great uh, saying, you can't be what you can't see. And so I just was curious about how come some people find it really easy to get a job and other people find it really, really difficult. And I felt that um, 
there has to be a safety net for the people that find it really difficult. And that's what I've dedicated my work in life to. In essence, what you're trying to bring about is equality in the world of careers, that everybody gets an equal crack at the whip, so to speak, to to live their dream life, to have that dream career. Uh, and I think that's incredible because, you know, my dream career from the age of 10 uh, while ever my dad, as a typical Asian uh, dad, uh, had an Im- image of success for his children as being doctors and dentists and lawyers, my singular career uh, choice in mind was to be a police officer. And I'm glad that uh, I followed that through and I had 32 wonderful years in, in the police service. But this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to get people to be able to firstly dream dream beyond the parameters that they've got and the parameters that they're born into, but also then to push for, uh, to aspire towards becoming that. So what is it that you do? How do you help people in that regard? Well, I always think we have to start off with livelihoods. You know, not everyone understands, you know, what is a career? Do you have a career? Do I have a career? What does it look like? So career is a sequence of life and work experiences over time and everybody has that sequence of life and work experiences over time, whether it's paid work or or voluntary work. Uh, And so what I'm interested in really is how do we support people um, from every community around having a good livelihood, having a good life. If you think of me as a triangle, in the middle of the triangle are young people and adults from all walks of life. And I'm interested in employment, I'm interested in unemployment, I'm interested in how can we use technology so that those people who want to help themselves and can do so, can do that, uh, which leaves maybe more support then for those uh, who need that extra support. So at the top of the triangle, um, I look at uh, systems across the world for really good career support uh, for young people and adults. I'm currently working in Northern Ireland with the Department for Economy, looking at what's the best timing and mode of delivery for career support for young people in schools and for adults and communities. I'm a researcher. I've always believed that that it's important that we have a really strong evidence base that we can use to um, inform policy as well as, as practice and get investment in these services uh, for, for young people and adults. Uh, I set up the International Centre for Guidance Studies in 2008 in Derby, and I was there for 10 years and delighted that it's actually grown from strength uh, to strength. Uh, and I'm really motivated around practice. So um, I'm currently working in Derby City, where a couple of years ago, um, I led a research team to produce a career strategy for the city, looking at, you know, it's a diverse city. Um, We have to look at multiculturalism as well in terms of services. And we have to look at how we can design services well that speak to the man and the woman on the street. And over the last two years, I've been working with 33 primary schools in Derby City, to really inspire children from a really early age to actually think about their horizons, broaden their horizons, tackle some of that gender stereotyping that goes on. We know that children by the age of seven will have ruled out certain jobs um, and to ensure that we've got more role models that can go into our education system and help um, to inspire uh, young people, children, 
but also their parents and their teachers, because parents and teachers are the biggest influences of children and young people as they travel through the schooling system. Firstly, where do you find the time to do all of this? It's <laughs> just incredible. You, I, I don't know how thinly one can, person can spread themselves, but if there's anybody who we can learn from, it's yourself. Uh, and the work that you're doing in Derby, it, it is in one city, but it's touching all corners of the world and all corners of society. Just talk to me about this international work that you're doing from within Derby. We're taking what I call a place and a space-based approach. <laughs> that might sound a bit sort of techy, but basically we're looking at a city and really looking at what's the art of the possible. If we can get as many people to come together, the leaders in the city to come together and have a common, a shared vision for really good career support for young people and adults. And in Derby, um, the leaders in Derby are to be congratulated, the university, the college, the city council, the teachers uh, in the schools and the colleges, in that they have all come together with a shared vision, and that is to improve the life chances of young people and adults. And so we've had a three-year uh, programme. We started off really uh, looking at how can we raise those aspirations of the children uh, in the city and it's a model, really, where we have an organisation called Learn by Design and an organisation called Education Employers. And using the technology, we have a way of matching employers and volunteers to go into schools. Um, and that can be people in Derby or the surrounding areas or further afield. And what we've also then um, got is we've got a real delivery model where activities um are sort of delivered in the school and they're linked to the skills that the children can acquire. Because I really strongly believe that emotional intelligence is a set of skills that anyone can acquire. And what we're doing mm -hmm. at Derby is we're after each activity and before, we're reminding the children about the skills they can do, the problem solving, the teamwork, the listening, really important creativity, leadership. Do they see themselves as being good at actually taking the lead on some things? The stuff that you're talking about there in terms of what we're trying to teach children, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of children having the opportunity to learn more life skills in schools. I mean, our schools are so geared towards, and it's not the fault of the schools, it is the system that we have. It's so geared towards the accruement of technical skills and qualifications, which are all very important. But it, it doesn't seem to, our school system doesn't seem to, uh, you know, push forward these life skills and leadership skills as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, I'm launching a program around uh, a leadership qualification for 16 to 18 year olds in schools and colleges. Uh, and on what you're doing with the, the younger children around leadership, around emotional intelligence, around uh, understanding that they don't have to be boxed in to a certain sort of shape or, or, or space in, in their thinking when it comes to future careers, uh, that they can go way beyond that. And, you know, we, we have a massive shortage, I know, of uh, women in the STEM industries. Uh, so is that an example of the things that you would be trying to encourage yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, that gender stereotyping, but there's a lot of research as well about, you know, working class males sort of being overlooked as well 
in terms of entry to professions. But again, it's that issue of if you don't get experience of an exposure to the world of work, those two things are really important experience of and exposure to the world of work, then actually it affects your confidence. Um, it, it means you have to rely on your network. And uh, when it comes to social capital, some people have got a lot more social capital and contacts, you know, than others. So I, I think, um, you know, what I'm talking about uh whilst I say that we're working in the primary schools, actually what we've been doing is um, posing the question, why is it that in primary school, whenever you've got these skills, um, that actually they don't transfer into the secondary school system? And so we're looking at how actually information that the children and the skills that they've acquired can actually channel into our secondary schooling system. And uh, there's lots of really exciting and good things happening. But I think what we need to see more of, really, is we need more employers to step up and give young people and adults a chance. Uh, mm-hmm. And we need closer partnerships, really, in not just the cities, but in rural areas, you know, where people are isolated, where maybe the digital divide, you know, is such that there, there isn't the broadband or... We've got to find smart ways, I think, of modernising what I would call career support, career guidance, um, and bringing the people with us. Absolutely, and I think you know I'm a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. And we've we've to date we've focused in on the younger people, but you're actually supporting people across the whole of the uh, remit of ages. And I think you know one of the things that uh, really strikes me is we live in an increasingly ageing society. And we have people, you know, 40, 50 plus who are coming out of careers. For example, myself came out of the police service. I set up a business. But so many come out of these incredible organizations, these incredible industries that they've worked in, got a wealth of experience that they could take elsewhere. I hear the anecdotal statements that they come across this glass wall, this 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 brick in the wall where they can't push through because employers aren't interested in them or are less interested in them than they would be in younger people. What's happening there and what do you think we can do about that? Or what is happening in terms of moving that forward? I think that's such an important point. You know, as someone who, you know, I'm in my later stages of my career now. um, And I often think the magic question that we have to be able to answer whether you're um, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or indeed 60s, because many people have to continue working beyond 60 because of their pension and, um, uh, again, their livelihoods. The important question is, where do you go for career support? Uh, If, uh, you know, uh, you find yourself displaced. And last year I did a piece of work for Nesta in London. It was a piece of research around... um, adults in employment and sort of looking at what might motivate them to make a career change or what might motivate them if they get displaced you know what are the kind of key things that they need to have in their toolkit and I recall there were five C's Um, one is about confidence and that's not easy if you're displaced from work Um, so this finding ways to build your confidence small steps sometimes. 
um, I've got to remember all the five C's now. The uh, capability is another one. What you're capable of, um, are you able to articulate? You know what you're capable of. Um, also, just in terms of thinking about um, your competence, you know the the sort of what you really really feel you can do, or where maybe your interests lie, and you want to actually become more competent in a new area um, of work. I think also in terms of the um, sort of thinking really about your connections, you know, what does your network uh, look like? That's a really big one, isn't it? Yeah. I've heard this so many times that, uh, you know, when we are looking, thinking about connections, we don't even think to look in the, the phone book on our on our phone and across our relatives because some of these people are in, incredibly connected and, you know, there is some philosophy, isn't there? There were only seven, seven connections away from everybody in the world or something like that. Mm. And, and this network is so, so powerful. The final C was commitment. You know, if you're fortunate enough that you've finished maybe a, a, in a particular sector and you've got a good pension and you've got a bit of time to think about what you want to do and you can explore your options, then that's great. But there are people out there that are just displaced from their jobs and they don't have that luxury. And mm -hmm. making a commitment to change can be really difficult because it is difficult. And I think that's where, um, in terms of um, thinking about how you can strengthen your network, um, who's in your network already, and then draw a big circle as to who would you like to have in your network that's you know, not there at the minute. And I'm a great believer in all of the work that I've done that we have to be ambitious and sort of, you know, dream high, but take small steps if it seems too overwhelming for you because we're all very different, aren't we? Yes. And yes. Um, I'm very mindful that people who've done the same job for a long time, there's a national career service here in England uh, that's all age and you can uh, go onto their website and there's a web chat and you can do some skills assessments too. Um, but sometimes, you know, not everyone wants to just use technology. Uh, I've been involved in developing a chat bot called CC. And the whole idea of the bot, um, which we're currently sort of rolling out, is that people should be able to do what I call a bit of career exploration on the city while you're watching Netflix and maybe other things just to... Uh, take, if you like, that um, block blockage that can be there sometimes where you think you can't do something because you've never done it before. So I think we can use technology to create safe spaces for people to do a bit of career exploration, get some connections, and then most importantly, get that human conversation going around you and your talents and your skills and what you can do. That's fascinating. And what you're doing is you're using every availability every available sort of um technology piece of technology but actually it's all driven towards at the end of it all having a human conversation which is what it's all about isn't it so i think the chatbot sounds right like a really exciting idea if anybody were to want to find out more about the chatbot where would they where would they look they can have a look on our website it's www.careerchat.uk so www. Careerchat.uk. One final question. 
you're driving so much change and you've been doing it for like over three decades, is it? Or is it four decades? I can't remember. Nearly four. <laughs> time, time flies by as when you're enjoying yourself, doesn't it? But you're still as passionate now as you were when you started and embarked upon your journey. Uh, you're making incredible impact across so many sort of spectrums of society. You're talking to all sorts of individuals and organizations at all sorts of incredible levels, you know, from government through to large organizations and trying to get them on board and trying to move them in the same direction. In order for you to achieve that, and you're saying that, you know, still some organizations need to get on board, some big employees need to get on board. All of this requires the building of relationships and trust in those relationships. So if you were to give some tips to anybody who is trying to achieve and build these kind of relationships, what would you say to anybody who thinks, well, you know what, I want to build these strategic relationships and become as, as impactful as Deirdre is? What would be your top tips? Well, it's very generous of you uh, to, to, to say that. Um, you know, I think I always think it just needs everybody to chip away at one little tiny piece that I'm doing. There'll be other people who'll be doing other things. And together, those little um, interventions basically will eventually bring about the change that we all all want. Um, I think I've learned um, from my experience um, just a few things. And this is off the top of my head. So the first thing really is you've got to have a vision. You've got to be passionate about what the vision is. What will success look like? You've got to be able to say, this is what success will look like and ask other people what success will look like. It's a great conversation um, starter. I think the second thing that you have to do as well is you have to have an evidence base behind you. So it's no use being passionate if you've got no evidence to show that what you're arguing for actually can make a difference. So I think you have to have a really good evidence base. Do your homework because that will also make you feel more confident yeah. uh, when you meet people who don't like what you're doing. And actually, uh, you know, I think the other um, third thing I uh, would say is that um, in bringing people with you, it's really important that you are able to... Um, help mentor and support people because you don't always have the answers. So I do quite a lot of work where I work with practitioners. I haven't got all the answers. I haven't got all the energy. Um, but surround yourself with people who are as curious as you are and who've got the same sort of values that you have. So I've always, always, having grown up in Northern Ireland and lived through a war zone, really, you know, I'm very passionate about equality about inclusion, about diversity. Um, and I really think that we've got an awful lot to do uh, in our country uh, going forward, just mm -hmm. on those three big topics alone. And so I think um, you also have to make sure you don't take yourself too seriously. Um, I remember when I had my first book chapter published and I rang my sister to say, oh, I've had a book chapter published. And she said to me, oh, that will be great reading for insomniacs, Deirdre. <laughs> and uh, I thought, don't get too carried away with your own self-importance either. <laughs> um, so that's a good one also to, to have a think about. Uh, be passionate, but don't be so passionate that you alienate um, 
yourself from others mm. because they think it's about you and your ego. Absolutely. For me, it's always been about the cause. The cause is how can we get the safety net in place so that we can help as many people who've got great skills, great talents that are maybe hidden. How can we provide a safety net to help unearth those hidden talents and make the most of them for our economy, for our society and for our families and our communities? Because at the end of the day, it's all about livelihood and um, having a good life. Absolutely is. And you know what, uh, Deirdre, you're not going to necessarily say this, but I will. We need people like you in society who are driving and, you know, chipping away, as you say, at these huge agendas, very little spoken about, you know, but widely accepted. We know that there's a massive disparity when it comes to gender around certain uh, areas of employment. We know that exists when it uh, you know, when we're talking about multiculturalism, we know it exists when it comes to age. There's huge disparities across the world of employment and careers. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful that we have people like you. You have your passion and you're chipping away at your passion. I have my passion and we're chipping away at my passion. And I think we just need a lot more passionate people chipping away to make society that bit better. Deirdre, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much once again for being on the podcast. And I look forward to meeting you in person at some point in time. Well, thank you very much, Colin. And if I just say, I was a principal research um, fellow at the University of Warwick. I'm no longer uh, a principal research uh, fellow there, but I have got good ties both at the International Centre for Guidance Studies at Derby and at Warwick as well. So uh, thank you very much for the invitation and uh, the best of luck with your really important work as well. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.